my goal was to be a, a tennis player. In all of us, we all think that we're great at interior design. <laughs> yeah. We all think we've got the best apartment, the best house. Interior design in property, I can sort of see if you're coming from that family background. How do you get interior design into private jets? Well, I think the thing is, it's the, it's the type of clients that I came lucky enough to work with. If I walk to the Emirates Stadium and the Arsenal flag flying above it is tattered and dirty, I know for a fact that thousands of fans would storm the ballroom learn visually or the branding's not that brilliant or it, it makes it taints your whole view of the whole development i think it affects people's um, opinions on things i mean i think there needs to be more done particularly for for, for women in, in property i also think it would be good for for more women to run their own businesses within property being an entrepreneur is is very very difficult and i think that's even tougher for females probably tougher for ethnic minorities in terms of where do they get a start I, I find now and I talk to a lot of people that run businesses and I just wonder whether the employment law is needs looking at choosing the right people for your business is, is absolutely key and working hard together as a, as a team together hello listeners and viewers uh, welcome to a another episode of blighty talks bricks um, you would have probably seen now that I've got a slight theme that goes ahead of um, what we do. And today you'll notice that I'm wearing my Harlequins rugby shirt. And the reason I'm wearing that shirt is because my guest today, who I don't know, um, so this is going to be a very interesting podcast because my previous podcasts have been with people that I not only know, but I've known for many years. So I'm super excited to have somebody today that I don't know. Um, and in a conversation we had probably just over a week ago, um, I was looking to find what I could actually wear to sort of lighten the conversation and get us off to a good start. And I found out that this lady is a big Harlequins fan, as I am. So um, that's why I'm wearing the shirt. Um, I have great pleasure in introducing my guest for today, Jenny Allen of Jenny Allen Design. Um, a multiple International Design Awards winner. Now, Jenny, for me getting you along today, it was to do really with your interior design experience. Welcome to Blighty Talks Bricks. How are you? Thank you, Steve. No, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and it's really kind of you to invite me to, to talk to you today. So I, I've got so much I want to get through, literally on this card, I've got so much I want to get through. How did you get into interior design? So, I mean, it, I've always been interested in property. My, my family have been involved in property for many sort of generations. So I think I was brought up in that um, property environment, if you like. Um, and I uh, basically, initially, I was, <laughs> my goal was to be a, a tennis player. An was it really? Yes, yeah, an international tennis player. And I played tennis at a very high level into my sort of late teens. Wimbledon? So I, no, so I um, I was top 10 in the country, but I was... Was you really? But, yeah, but I got injured and I wasn't able to, you know, fulfil those those dreams. So uh, property was something that I got into after that. And I was working with my family on um, their sort of properties they were doing and uh, helping other friends with their interior design and things. I just sort of fell into it effectively. And actually it happened that I was... 
quite good at it, as it turned out. Uh, I think with interior design, the, the proof's in the pudding, effectively, and you can really, you can see if you're any good or not. It's you can indeed. No, well, absolutely. <laughs> it's quite obvious. Uh, so that was my initial sort of start into it. And then uh, gradually over time, I got the opportunity to, to work on other projects and more and more uh, larger projects, exciting projects with some incredible clients. Um, it's been it's been quite an experience. So just touching um, back on the interior design, I mean, I think it's one of those things that in all of us, we all think that we're great at interior design. <laughs> yeah. We all think we've got the best yeah. apartment, the best house, etc. And And I've got some, you know, I've seen some funny things with interior design over the years. I think I mentioned to you the other day... Um, where going back many, many years to a, a big house builder now that didn't have a name, I gave him a name, but the guy that d actually did the development, we as in agency, we never get the chance to see the show apartment or the show house until it's done. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and I remember going along on one particular situation, and I think I told you on the telephone, the guy had taken the majority of the doors off on the apartment. Uh, yes. And what he'd done, he'd put along, it was a bit like going to a premiere, he'd put along these big brass stands with the red rope on it. Mm -hmm. and, and I walked into this apartment, which was very nicely done, and I walked into it and I said, his name was John, I said, John, what have you done? He said, well, what do you mean? And I said, you've taken all the doors off. He said, well, yes, because that would make the apartment look smaller. And I said, but why have you got this roped off? I can't get into the bedroom. And he said, um, Lighty, if you went into that bedroom, you wouldn't be able to swing a cat. And I said, well, actually, my first question is, why would I want to swing a cat? And he said, yeah, but just think about it. You'll come along with your parents or your friend or your girlfriend or your boyfriend and there'll be three or four of you in the bedroom and it will be, it'll look too small. And he said, and let me add, he said, Blighty, when was the last time you had three or four people in your bedroom? And if you did, I want to know more. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was strange. We're all, we all think we're interior designers. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, the, I mean, the thing is... Um, it, like I say, you can really see the results and that's what enabled me to get more clients. Once you establish that portfolio and people can really see what you can do, you can, you can grow it. And so I want to come back in a while. I want to give you a chance to think about this because uh, we will have our listeners and viewers that will want to know some tricks of the trade. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've seen used very well over the years is the use of mirrors yes. to make a space. So I will come back to that. But... Um, Interior design in property, I can sort of see if you're coming from that family background. Mm -hmm. How do you get interior designed into private jets? <laughs> well, I think the thing is, it's the, it's the type of clients that I became lucky enough to work with. So, um, I mean, I've worked with some incredible clients, some of the most famous sports people in the world. Um, I've worked with uh, Kenyan billionaire clients, um, MDs of multinational companies. It's been quite a sort of phenomenal ride really and these type of clients they end up purchasing other things like yachts or jets and then they want the same interiors or interior designer styling uh, is it things. for me I just think about that is it is it easy to do interior design in a jet <laughs> I mean I get yeah. I get you can do it in an apartment and a house because you've yeah. lived it you you see it but yes yeah, so I mean, it is it is challenging in its own in its own ways. You have to be obviously it's actually a very small space ultimately a private yep. jet, um, and and you have to be aware of things like 
the weight of everything, so, so the weight of the carpet and all the materials that are used. Um, you can only have certain seat layouts uh, within, within it that are sort of passed through the safety regulations. So it has its sort of constraints, um, but at the same time, I'd say it's probably one of the most exciting projects you can do. Do they fly you somewhere to do it as well? <laughs> it's actually done in the UK, typically we try to... Is it really? Yeah, because it, in a way it's easier just to keep control of what's, what's going on. I like to, to check on that. So when somebody phones you up and says, we've got this apartment block and we'd like you to do a two-bed apartment, are you sitting there thinking, oh my God, really? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it depends, really. Um, we, sort of, we take on these prestigious projects still, but we're also now growing into our tech business. Yep. So uh, JA Visualisation is our um, CGI and uh, architectural visualisation business, which is something that's actually really really growing and it's it's good because it's also we can do it from anywhere in the world we can work with any client in the world but we can work from london effectively so explain explain more to to me not only just to the people are, are, are listening explain more to me what that involves and what that would normally mean you doing because mm. there'll be a lot of interest you make that when you say that there'll be a lot of interest Yes, yeah. So we got into the visualisation space through the interior design because it's really important for clients to be able to see exactly what they're getting, especially when they're spending so much money. You know, a mood board and a few fabrics isn't really going to cut it. So we invested heavily in this CGI side for those private clients and uh, doing virtual tours so they could walk through the property in photorealism um, from wherever they are in the world. So, for example, one of those clients was the um, Kenyan billionaire. So he, he was in Nairobi, uh, I was in Chelsea, and uh, his wife was in uh, North London. And we had a Teams call walking them through their property before it had been done, but all in photorealism with all the design, so they could approve the design that way. So that was how it, it kind of came about. And then with this technology that we had in-house, it became obvious that developers, <laughs> it yep. would be a, very much of interest to them for all their marketing and that side of things. Um, and we got approached by some developers to ask if we could could help with that. There's also the benefit of the fact that it's the design business as a, as a baseline. So everything we do is going to look aesthetic and nice and yep. we can tailor it to the target markets because obviously an international target market is going to, the CGI's and the interiors of that is going to look different to say a local market for a it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, sales of property, I mean, I, I was trying to rack my brain the other day since I've been in the industry. I mean, I've been involved in selling many thousand properties, new homes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we, we are guilty in this industry, in the property industry, um, of giving the, the, the public too much credit. Um, every time I sit on a site... We always have the show apartment or the show house that goes first. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've seen many, many different designs. Some of them I go in and I think, wow. Some of them I walk in and I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But they always look good, especially compared to the rest of the stuff we've got. Mm -hmm. In your design world now, are you finding that people are getting uh, cleverer, more aware, more astute of what they're looking at on a laptop the other side of the fence? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the technology side is really coming through and people are wanting to see 
more and more you know that that cgr and visualization and make it interactive as well so to be able to walk around or to wear a vr headset and it, particularly the sort of younger generations because um, i think with social media we've we've kind of been um trained if you like that we want things instantly we want to be able to see things very yeah. very quickly um so being able to show that rather than just say reading a brochure if you can see it instantly online yeah. and that's really appealing to those particularly the younger target markets and, and i and i get that totally i mean it's changed for us greatly i mean if i go back into the day we went to a spell that people would show interest in the development we wouldn't even send them a brochure and, and, and there would be this pent-up demand for people coming along. Mm -hmm. But now they get the opportunity to look online. There's, yeah. there's planning portals that take that into play. Yes. It's a different situation. I still don't think the house builders understand it. <laughs> you know, um, I can't believe that in, in the car industry, do you do anything in that? Uh, no, we don't, actually, not yet. <laughs> but in the car industry, every time, we, we used to act, we had a, uh, there was a BMW franchise that we acted for. And every time I walked in to have a meeting, and I came out wanting to buy a car. I wasn't looking for a car. Yeah. But I went in that, that smell of leather. Mm -hmm. the, the, the leather that I knew within five minutes of me sitting on the chair when my jeans were going to stain that white <laughs> leather. We, but that show situation, in our industry, we're still not good with that. Mm. Yeah, abso absolutely. I think it's, it's about creating that um, sort of lifestyle and, and getting people really engaged with it i mean within the virtual tools that we do you can change out the kitchen colors and bathroom tile colors so so a buyer can be sat on the sofa at home and choosing those things and engaging with the property and development and i think once you're choosing your kitchen colors you've you're already half moved you're in. half there <laughs> and i think and i think that what you know being on the sales side of it um and i'm critical of it but i always look at flags i mean harlequins awesome big arsenal fan I know if I walk to Arsenal Stadium, and, and most football fans are classed as sort of gorillas with long arms that have got no intelligence, but if I walk to the Emirates Stadium and the Arsenal flag flying above it was tattered and dirty, mm. I know for a fact that thousands of fans would storm the boardroom. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's our emblem. That's, yes. that's what we're into. Yeah, yeah, I see house builders, hoardings. You know, you can spend fortunes on stuff. But the moment a hoarding has, has got somebody that's put some graffiti on it, other than around in Shoreditch, we're around here now. <laughs> you know, back in the day, this is my manner, really, born just around the corner, but I don't see house builders at times worrying about their presence. I think it gets forgotten. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely essential. Because in general, you know, we're, we're visual people. People learn visually. And so if you see something like graffiti on a hoarding or or the branding's not that brilliant or it, it makes it taints your whole view of the whole development you know you think oh well if they're not bothered about that maybe they're not bothered about the build quality or i think it affects people's um, opinions on things i think branding and image is so so critical so so do you ever get involved in something does it i'm not, I'm not saying the jets but when you're doing property stuff do you feel that you know you work hard you do an amazing job to provide something that you know that is perfect to what you want maybe they get it right in the beginning uh, and the development looks good but do you then actually get a little bit frustrated you go back do you go back a few weeks later just to check if everything's still in situ but then you find actually that 
And I had this great conversation once. I walked on site and I got my, my on-site sales rep. Uh, and I got the, the construction guy. And I said, what's that? And they said, they looked at me as I was an alien and said, well, it's grass. And I said, no, grass is green. <laughs> That's straw. And I just see so many people, I just think the work ethic, and I think the industry is worse now than it's ever been, with that attention to, does that, does, is that a frustration for you? Um, I, th- I, think, I think so at times. I think it depends of who you're dealing with, with different, different clients. I mean, the attention to detail is one of the, the key, parts key parts to it, both in the interiors and the visualisation. I mean, in visualisation, that's what makes it photorealistic, is, the, is that attention to detail. So it's, it's sort of, right, it's the fundamentals <laughs> for, for what we do, and I think it's easy to lose sight of that with, with certain, um, certain developments, and they can get distracted with other things, but it is absolutely key. Changing the subject slightly, one of the things I looked at when I was doing some research on you was um, you're obviously passionate about uh, females in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Honestly, have you found it... Because our industry is it's blunt at times. You know, the language is choice. Yeah. Um, and I understand that. It's, it's a difficult... If you're working on site, especially from the construction side, I mean, you know, in... Sometimes brutal conditions, rain, cold, etc. Have you found that your journey being a lady in a potentially male-dominated mm. industry has it been something that you found difficult or a, ch- a challenge? Um, I think, on the whole, no. I think occasionally there's been times, with, you know. Um, projects with some difficult characters, <laughs> if you like. You know, don't look at me like that. I'm not one of those characters. <laughs> no. Um, but in general, it's been it's been good. But it it is still is too sort of male dominated. We need to get more women in the industry. And I th- but I think that's also um, changing the perception of the industry and getting. And it's the same with the tech industry that I'm involved with. That's still very male dominated. Is it? Yeah, and and we need to get more women involved. And earlier on, I think so. Sort of young women and girls that are trying to choose a career. I think it's important that they don't see our industry necessarily as solely <laughs> male-dominated and they feel comfortable um, coming into it because I think it's important having that equality and, and balance and it just makes it better for everyone, really. In terms of uh, what, what you mentioned, I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I really love this industry is because <laughs> I needed to love it because I left school with no qualifications. So... I think this is. I think there's so many industries now that unless you leave school or university with degrees, O levels, A levels, and, and sadly, um, none of those ever came across my uh, intelligence path. This industry still allows people in at any age. Yes. You know, my my business is predominantly female, mm-hmm. um, and it it allows people to come in that have got a work ethic which I think sadly lacks mm-hmm. in the UK. It allows people to come in that are enthusiastic. Um, do we do enough to encourage females into the industry? Do we, do we, should we even be talking about that? Should we not be sitting there and saying, do we do enough to encourage people to come into the industry full stop? Especially in interior design as one. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think there needs to be more done, particularly for, for, for women in, in property. I mean, I work with some incredible 
women in the industry but there's definitely needs to be more um i also think it'd be good for for more women to run their own businesses within property i think because that also gives them more flexibility ultimately you know if they're wanting to have a family they can they can sort of do that i mean it's not easy but you know you can um delegate as well and and uh i mean from my point of view i grew up with my mum she was um uh, well my mum and dad but my mum was um working she had her own business as well and seeing that work ethic I think from a young age I never felt that I missed out with time with her somehow she seemed to have time for me and yeah. the, the business but I think having those sort of role models is is really important and we need more and more of those in the property industry so so the more women that can get into property and tech and starting their own businesses the better I, I actually said um and I say it pretty much twice a week, three times a week, that my business, the BPC Group, I wouldn't be able to start that today. Mm. You know, there's been a change in rules and regulations, some good, some bad, but I think it's harder, and that's why I admire you greatly, um, I think it's harder to for anyone to start a business. I think the rules and regulations are severe. Being an entrepreneur is, is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I think that's even tougher for females mm-hmm. probably tougher for ethnic yes minorities in terms of where do they get a start um and i and i think that's part of what we're trying to do on blighty talks bricks is we're trying to get this message across that it's an amazing industry with amazing people prime example sitting opposite me um something where we give so much back in the way of taxes if you put the construction industry and the house building industry together, it is the biggest generator for the government in tax revenue. 90% of the money stays in the UK. We have governments, but particularly this government, that you would think that they've got a problem with this. Mm. And it employs many, many people that pay tax. I just don't, I just don't get it. Do you find that... Planning now stops a lot of your clients' work. They start talking to you about a project, expecting it, putting it in the cash flow, putting, and then all of a sudden you get a phone call and say, I'm sorry, but it's been refused. Yes, yeah. I mean, planning is definitely one of those sticking points, if you like, um, for, for all our clients, really, that everybody's touched by, <laughs> by that and how long, it, how long it takes. I mean, there's just so much red tape that goes on with, with, with the planning side. So, yeah, anything that can be done to to speed that up is is welcome which is it was why we've created our own sort of planning platform so this is within visualization um because we're trying to help speed up this planning process for the clients how, how does that that situation you've got there what you've just made how does that work so uh, as i was saying earlier everybody or not everybody but the majority of people learn visually and within planning you know you submit of plans or 2d plans architects plans and not everybody can read those and interpret them um so particularly the the wider community if you're trying to engage with the community and you've got the 2d plans nobody can really understand the scale of it they they struggle to understand what it's exactly going to look like how it's going to affect them so we've created these planning platforms which is effectively like a microsite for each of the developments it's something we've done relatively recently actually sort of by demand because of yep. this planning situation and it's a way of um, 
you know, making it more visual, making it really easy, s simple to use. Anybody can use it. The public can go on it and see exactly what development is going to look like. Um, we also highlight the benefits of what the development's bringing, um, so the sustainability and um, what it's bringing for the local community, that side of things. So it just it just makes it much more visual and easier to to understand, and hopefully there'll be sort of less reluctance, if you like, from the community to to um, get on board with that particular development and therefore it will get through planning quicker and then the CGI's that are produced as part of that planning platform can then be used for marketing as well so you're not sort of doubling up on costs but you're just trying to get people on board earlier to understand yes yeah, yeah. and and again that's very important you know we've got, we've got somebody sitting in our little live audience over there that um, will be listening ears pricking because that's he's strategic that's what he does um, I did ask you a question a few minutes ago, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. Can you give me three things? Because this is only going to go out to a hundred odd thousand people. <laughs> Can we have three little um, sneaky bits that, if if I've got an apartment or a house, and is there something I can make the space? I said about mirrors, mm -hmm. bigger. Um, yeah. Is it what? Have you got any little um, nuggets there for us? I call them. <laughs> Like tips and tricks. Tips and tricks. Just something that's not going to... I'm not going to start a new business up, so trust me, you're fine. Whether or not our, our viewers and listeners do, that's another conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, there's so many things that go into interior design. I think that's the thing. I mean, one thing for me that's so important is that getting the proportions right of all the all the furnishings. Because yep. you often... I sometimes go into a client's home before we've you know, before we done any design and I see it and I think, that sofa's just too small or you can see and it affects the whole sort of style of the room so anything if you get the proportions wrong it's really it's really a major issue it doesn't matter what style you're going for you've got to get the bones um of the design right i would say proportions that's number proportions, one proportions that's number one <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then there's the sort of color balancing and getting the colors right so for example um Grey, <laughs> you think grey is just grey, right? But it, it isn't just grey. So there's sort of the browny greys, and that goes with a sort of whole different colour palette. And then there's the bluey greys, which goes with another different colour palette. And it's those type of things that are really important to get the, the colours just right and balanced. And it's that type of thing that makes a massive difference, because people don't, don't understand that necessarily, but it's that kind of detail that we, that we look at. And so a colour palette nice. is important. Yeah, 100%. And it's just not actually, it's not just a cat, it's that colour will recognise and bring into other colours. Yes. So a bit like when somebody says, oh, you know, that, that jacket suits your eyes or something, yeah, a bit exactly. like that scenario. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then the third one, I know I'm pushing boundaries here. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think, and uh, well, something else is like texture. So adding texture to a, to a room and a design actually creates depth within it. So if they're all the same sort of similar materials, it's going to look flat and bland. So we like to use different textures within what we do within the within the furnishings as well, which makes a massive difference. Textures. So yeah. it's interesting. Over the years, I've seen, as I say, a number of... One of my funny stories, I'll get in trouble for this one, um, was got to a development early in the morning never having had the privilege of watching this show apartment come together. And when I got there, the sales manager, I won't mention any names, is still in the industry today, um, lovely guy, very quiet, came out and he said, um, oh, Blighty, have you seen the show apartment? And I said, no, no, I'm just going to go and have a look, before we were opening mm -hmm. to the public. And as he walked past me, he said, 
it looks like a brothel. And, and my opening gambit, and I said, when have you been to a brothel? And his face, he just went some bright red. And I think from then on, we always, every time he saw me, it was just even I having a, a beer or a cup of coffee, I just think, one day I'm going to have to tell him that. But he never did tell me, and I don't know if he ever went. But it was very, I mean, he just had, oh, it looks like a brothel. I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, what does a brothel look like? But I've seen some weird and wonderfuls over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's still so important. You know, it, yeah. it really is an important part of us. The moment that we say we have a, a show apartment. Mm. Yeah, and tailoring it to that target market. So, you know, for example, with the international clients and international markets that we've um, furnished for, and also within the CGI's, is is it's got a different style and a different look to what is going to be for for the sort of local family home. Yeah. It's very much different, and you, the two don't really mix <laughs> so someone a couple of questions for you i mean i when i go to a property and in the lounge or old old money the front room and they don't have a tv in it now it can mm. be a fake tv i find that bizarre well, because when they don't have one when they don't in the show mm. i mean the amount of show houses and show apartments i've been to is that, and i sit and think am i the weirdest bloke in the world that i sit down and watch tv two or three nights a week yeah. Um, and sometimes when I go in, this is for you developers out there that are missing a few tricks. Um, when I go into an apartment and in the second bedroom there's no wardrobe. Yeah. So my my little boy, when he was little, he's not now as big, um, or my guest is not going to have a, a coat or a jacket to hang up. Yeah, it's, t- it's totally impractical. And and you see it so many times when it's sort of overlooked. Um, so is it overlooked or is it going back to what good old John, because he's not around no more back in the day, um, told me about just making the space look bigger? Big is I beautiful is kind of thing. Potentially, potentially, and also sort of cost savings as well on, on that side of things. But, but really, I think buyers are, are particularly hot on the storage side of things. They do look at, they do look for that. Especially Definitely. nowadays. I mean, yeah. since since that, that horrible thing, COVID, came along, not, I don't mean horrible the illness, it was horrible, but the way we've lost our way in the world, in my view, mm-hmm. um, we have got more stuff because probably got dogs now, <laughs> probably got bikes, gym kit, yeah, golf exactly. clubs. It's got to be somewhere to put it. It's got to be somewhere to put it. Mm. Yeah, and it's always a key part for, for all my you know, interiors clients as well, the private client side. Um, you know, that storage is, is absolutely essential. I mean, they do tend to have quite large houses. Yeah, so sto- storage isn't, you know, necessarily an issue, but they always, it's always a, a, a topic, an important part. And it's the same within, within developments for everyone. You know, you can't keep a house tidy and looking nice if you've got stuff strewn Come everywhere. and live in my house, it's never tight. Well, that's actually <laughs> not true, but I'm, I'm, I make it totally untidy. I get in trouble all the time for that. Talking about untidiness, talking about problems, have you noticed that... Um, when you talk about people in the industry, do you come across things now where emotional wellness hits your radar at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think being an entrepreneur in itself is is always going to be challenging. <laughs> I mean, it's the the highs and the lows, and I think people, if they are thinking of starting their own business, they do have to be aware of. It's of not <laughs> always easy, is it? No, it's it's definitely not, and it's 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 a, a roller coaster. Um, times do you does your business employ a lot of people or do you contract to a lot of this stuff because it's so varied 
Yeah, no, we do. We well, as of a mixture. I mean, the interiors we obviously work with a lot of different suppliers um, within the industry. I, I try to keep them UK based, even if they source some of their products overseas. I try to keep them UK based because I like to keep a handle on it, on it all and all the orders and things. I like to be able to go into a, a showroom and sort of talk to people rather than it being too distant and have to fly out to Italy or something which sounds awful but no. I'm, I'm available <laughs> I'm available especially if I'm going privately <laughs> but practically you know you, you really want people closer to home especially when you've got tight deadlines to meet um, do you find it the people that you get involved do you find that um, it's harder with the work ethic and I mean I you know, somebody, I had a meeting this morning and somebody said about us as a, a company taking on another development to sell. And, you know, back in the day for me, employing people was a pleasure. I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. you know, and my nature is good. But I, I find now, and I talk to a lot of people that run businesses, and, and I just wonder whether the employment law is needs looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's always challenging. I mean, we're, you know, we're recruiting at the moment we're growing um and it's you know it's exciting i'll give you my number at the end of this by the way <laughs> no it's, it's, it's exciting times but but choosing the right people for your business is is absolutely key and um i think it's that attitude i mean obviously they need you know certain requirements and skills to be able to do it but it's more about the attitude and whether they're going to be good as part of a team and i i, I just have a zero tolerance for this to- toxic culture and negativity and everything we just don't have that in our, our business because i think you get one bad egg and it just sort of <laughs> spreads through and it's and it's difficult to stop isn't it yeah yeah it's difficult to stop so i try to make as good judgments as possible you know through the interview process but it's no, it's, it's definitely not easy but i think if for me i'm sort of getting everybody behind me within the team and we're all going you know working working hard together as a, as a team together making them feel part of that is something that has has worked worked very well and they do they work really really hard i mean i don't like to push them to work so long hours so particularly within the architectural visualization cgi world the industry hasn't got a great reputation in terms of the hours that they work they're pretty antisocial hours you know one company they get them working 70 hour weeks and don't pay them any overtime and it's just you know and I don't want to be known for that that's not how I want to run the business because I don't think that leads to a sustainable business ultimately you know people are going to get fed up they're going to get burnt out and miserable and if people are miserable they're not going to work so well so we try to keep a good you know, a good balance. I mean, they have to work overtime sometimes, but it's not a lot, and it's just keeping people happy in the environment. I've, I find that they're really putting in the effort for, for us, um, so hopefully that'll, that'll continue. And I think you're absolutely right, and I just think that um, it, it's a two-way street. Uh, and, and again, I sometimes I question whether that two-way street is maybe a bit more one-way and not two-way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but people are important. And one of the things that, um, you know, I, I personally think that we are in a recession. Uh, the British government don't, but then they're, they're away with Noddy at the moment in my <laughs> yeah. eyes. Um, I think that the industry itself, the construction, I mean, I read a report that two days ago from the Telegraph, Daily Telegraph, that said, and it wasn't just aimed at the construction world, but there's 50,000 companies are on the brink of collapse. Charities get affected. Is it, have you got any charities that are close to your heart? Because um, we, we always like to 
uh, for me personally, I like to elaborate on those because the great British public are amazing in putting their hands in their pockets. Mm-hmm. So I read a stat the other day, 12 billion. 12 billion we give to charities, not just in the yeah. UK, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Well, when you also read the stat that um, come the end of this month, a third of the UK adult world is struggling to pay their bills. That must have a knock-on effect to charities. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any particular charities that you're are cl- are particularly close to your heart? Uh, yeah, I'd say one in particular. Um, it's actually the air ambulance. Right. So, um, is there a reason? Yeah. So, my friend uh, a few years ago, she was uh, she's a horse rider as well, and uh, she she was out in the New Forest um, out riding, and she had a very serious accident. So she was on her own. And she fell off and broke a collarbone, like ruptured her spleen. I mean, it was just, it was horrendous. And thank God she had phone signal. Um, so she obviously called an ambulance. But a typical in ambulance the new forest, in difficult. the new forest, yeah. in the middle of the forest, you, you know. You, you're struggling. You're struggling. Um, and so the air ambulance came out and they hoisted her <laughs> up into the ambulance and, and they saved her life. Saved her, absolutely. So without that, she, I can't, I don't think she'd be with us, so... I think I'm right, and I'm sure one of our listeners or viewers are going to put me right if I'm wrong. But I think on the air ambulance, I know I subscribe to it, I think the majority of their activity comes from donations. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit like the RNLI in that sense. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just unbelievable. Without those donations... How what, what would have happened to my friend? And, 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 it's, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think, again, you know, just a, a little wake-up call to the British government, because I'm on your case. Um, if, we, if we get people in employment and work, they can pay taxes. If we can pay taxes, the welfare, we're all, in my case, I'm getting old, living longer is quite an important thing for me, but we've got an, an older population. But when you think about the air ambulance for your friend, mm-hmm. most people, I would imagine, would just assume that Actually, no, that comes out of the taxes I pay. Yeah, exactly, you would. You would you would 100% believe that. And I can't really understand why it doesn't, but it doesn't. No, <laughs> and, and actually, what I can also say is that some of our military, you know, we've, we've got the, the best special forces in the world, and I can talk because I know about this, we get shot tonight. Um, they rely on some charity donations. And, and all of that's fantastic, and it's great, and it is 12, but, but if, we're, if we are in recession, it's going to struggle. Yeah. And has your friend made a recovery now? Yeah, she's full reco- fully recovered. And she's, she's got, as they say, she's got, she's got back on the horse, <laughs> yeah, is she? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, I've never seen... Keep her away. <laughs> there's a couple of things in my life I don't get. I don't get horses because there's no turn on and off button. <laughs> and I don't, jump, I don't get jumping out of a perfectly good plane with a parachute um, on. Yes. Have you yeah. done that? No, I haven't. No, no. no. I don't <laughs> see the logic in that whatsoever. If it's, if it's nosediving and it's in trouble, then absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But before yeah. that, no. No, I've given that a miss as well. So I'm going to let you all go and I'm going to say goodbye to Jenny. Um, it's been fantastic to um, bring another podcast, Blighty Talks Bricks. I uh, look forward to seeing you soon on the new one. Jenny, thanks very much for your time. Safe travels. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Goodbye, everyone.